we come to God's word now, let's pray for his help to understand it. Lord, we need your work now. We need you to speak through your word. We know that you alone are the one who is able to save sinners. And you alone are the one who is able to grow your saints. And Lord, that's what we ask that you would do this morning. Through your word, by your spirit, please bring salvation Please bring holiness, obedience, and love. And we pray that you would do this now in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. This morning we're continuing in our sermon series in Mark. And our sermon comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. That's Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. Listen to the word of God. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who are with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It's now safe to say that we are in the Christmas season. I think I can say that now Thanksgiving is past last week. And at least in our house, Christmas gifts are a popular topic these days. Um, we all know that giving and receiving gifts is really a wonderful thing. There's a lot of joy both in giving a good gift and in receiving. You may think about the gifts that you've received in the past. An awful lot of them seem to come with an instruction manual, right? Right? Maybe it's just a a few lines on a piece of paper. Maybe, depending on the toy or the tool, there's a bigger booklet. But the instruction manual tells you how to use that toy or tool well. But we also know that some people seem to go overboard. right? They come up with lots of additional rules about how you really should be using that gift. Maybe safety-conscious parent, I'm guilty of this. Saying something like, that's a great helicopter you have there, Johnny, but just make sure you don't fly it over there or over there or over there because you might hit something. That's saying more than what that child needs to know. But but I think I've found that jealous siblings are the worst at this. They make up lots of rules about how others need to use their toys. You need to turn off that battery-operated train every time you get up. You want to save the battery, Right? Um, that's, a, that's a very hypothetical conversation that we may have heard recently. Um, as you think about this, though, you know, a few of those kinds of extra rules that people make up means that the gift isn't fun anymore. It's not actually going to be good for you anymore. And we can laugh about that if it's just a Christmas gift, if it's just a toy train or a helicopter or even a tool. But what if we did the same thing with the gifts 
that God gives us. That would be much more serious. Actually, that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' day. We see that in our passage. They took God's good gift of the Sabbath, then they added their own rules to it, and they turned God's gift into a burden. The Sabbath became about keeping the rules instead of rejoicing in God. And in our passage, Jesus corrects and confronts the Pharisees. And he shows us he has the authority to do this. He has the authority because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath belongs to him and him alone as God. And he graciously reminds us of what a good gift he has given us by giving us the Sabbath. That really leads us then to our main idea that Jesus is the gracious and loving Lord of the Sabbath. He's a gracious and loving Lord of the Sabbath, and that is good news. That is such good news, because that means he's going to use his day for our good. So we look at that together, we're going to see three points in this passage. We're going to see the breaking of the Sabbath in verses 23 to 26. We're going to see the purpose of the Sabbath in verse 27. Finally, we're going to see the Lord of the Sabbath in verse 28. The passage begins with the breaking of the Sabbath. Look at verses 23 to 24. This is setting the scene. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the ears of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Um, we might not think that what the disciples were doing here is really a big deal. It looks like what they're doing is they're just picking some grain for a snack. They're hungry. They need something to eat as they're walking. But for the Pharisees, this was close to being an unforgivable sin. They immediately confront Jesus. Why are they doing something not lawful on the Sabbath? They're guilty of breaking the Sabbath, and you, Jesus, are guilty of letting them sin. Now, before we write off the Pharisees here, we have to realize that what they're saying is actually a very serious accusation. Think about the Sabbath in the Old Testament. This is, this would, these would have been the days when Jesus was alive. Think about what God did. God gave his people one day a week, and he said, on that day, you rest from your work and you worship me. Look at the fourth commandment. It's very clear what God says there. And that command to rest from your work is repeated throughout the Old Testament. You need to rest on the Sabbath even during harvest time. Look at Exodus 34. Do you know how hard that would be for a farmer to sit, to rest, to trust God during harvest time? But God goes actually further in the Old Testament. Don't just rest and trust me. Actually, there are penalties too, because he says if you broke the Sabbath by working, you would be put to death. Again, Exodus 35, it's repeated in Numbers chapter 15. So what the Pharisees are doing here, if they are right, is very serious. Because picking that little bit of grain, if that counts as working, then Jesus and his disciples would have faced the death penalty. But that's if. The Pharisees are right, though. And that helps us to see one of the real issues here in this passage. The issue at the heart of this passage is authority. It's the authority of the Pharisees versus the authority of Jesus. 
It's the authority of men versus the authority of God, the authority of man's laws against God's law. Who has the right to say what is right or wrong according to God's law? It's not the Pharisees. It's Jesus. Jesus has that right because of who he is. He is the Son of God. And Jesus now turns to the Pharisees to confront and correct them. Now, how would you respond to the Pharisees in this case? I want you to think about your own response before we look at what Jesus says. Um, You could have told them, boy, that sounds really legalistic. That would have been true. You could have even rightly said, you're adding to God's law. That's not what God said. God didn't say anything about picking little grains. Um, You could say all those things. And Jesus actually confronts the Pharisees later on some of these same grounds. Think of Mark chapter 7. He says, you are following the traditions of men, your own laws, instead of following the law of God. But that's not the direction that Jesus goes here. Jesus chooses here in Mark 2 to point the Pharisees back to the scripture to show them that their problem is that they are misinterpreting God's law. And even deeper than that, they are missing the heart of God's law because they are missing the heart of God himself. Jesus points them to the story of David in 1 Samuel 21, when he was running away from Saul, and he gives a short summary here. Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus is pointing the Pharisees to another situation that seems awfully similar to what his disciples were doing. See, Jesus points out that what David did was not lawful. Did you notice that? Was not lawful. David ate the bread of the presence that was only supposed to be for the priests. You remember that? The bread of the presence was that bread that was laid out in the tabernacle in the presence of God and only the priests. God's very clear about this. Only the priests were the ones who were supposed to eat that. So what David did doesn't seem lawful. But if you read 1 Samuel 21, it's interesting that David is not condemned. Right? Neither God nor man condemns David for eating the holy bread. Uh, You can kind of get the sense from the Pharisees that if they were there, they would have fixed that problem. They would have corrected that By confronting David and confronting the priests, they would have been quick to condemn them. But God doesn't do that to David. And that stands out because God judges David for many, many sins. Just look at the rest of Samuel, especially 2 Samuel. So God's silence here in 1 Samuel 21, when David is doing something that looks unlawful, is really striking. What's happening? Why is Jesus telling this story? What's going on in the life of David? See, God is not making a special exception for David, right? God isn't kind of turning a blind eye to the sin of a favorite person. Now, okay, I'll ignore, David, I don't know about that. I'll ignore it for now. You know, you're usually pretty good. Um, I'll let it go. That's what we do. That's what we do all the time. But that's not what our unchangeable, completely holy God can ever do. He cannot just ignore our sin. But that shows us that that God doesn't condemn David 
Because what David did wasn't actually wrong. Look again at what Jesus says. He says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. Jesus emphasizes the circumstances. David and his men had a very big need. They were running for their lives and they were very hungry. If that high priest had turned them away, he actually would have been the one sinning. Why? Well, because the priest understood the heart of God's law. We get this all the way through the Old Testament. What is God's law actually about? Look, for instance, in the book of Hosea, God corrects his people. He tells them, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Hosea 6.6. Now, we know that the sacrifices and the burnt offerings still matter. God gave laws and he required people to follow them. But God is emphasizing in this passage and in many other places in the Old Testament, he is emphasizing what true obedience to his law looks like. And it starts in the heart. Steadfast love and knowledge of God. This priest Abiathar was truly obeying God's law when he fed David because he was loving God and he was loving his neighbor. Let me put it another way. What that priest understood and what we need to see as well and what the Pharisees missed so often is that God's law is fundamentally good. God's law is good, and it's for our good, because God is good. That's what's actually happening in the law. God's law reflects his character. God's law reflects the character of a good and loving God. Making God's law seem like a list of do's and don'ts, like what the Pharisees were doing, That makes God seem like a taskmaster who only cares about what you do. If you just do the 10 right things today, you're good with God. That is not God. That is a very shallow view of the law that comes from a very shallow view of God. No, the more that we understand God, the more that we understand the true depth of his law as we look at his heart, that is reflected in his law. The Pharisees have missed the point completely. We actually see the Pharisees' problem much more clearly when Jesus shows us, secondly, the purpose of the Sabbath in verse 27. Jesus really gets to the heart of the problem here. He said to them, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is God's good gift to men, right? He made the Sabbath by resting after he finished creating the world. Look at Genesis. The Sabbath is now part of the very fabric of creation. Did God need to rest? No, of course not. God didn't need to rest. He made the Sabbath part of creation for you and for me. He rested to give us a day of rest and worship. And later, as God teaches his people more, when he gives them laws about the Sabbath, like the fourth commandment, he is teaching us, he is helping us to be able to rest and worship him. God's purpose for the Sabbath is for our good. 
The Pharisees had the complete wrong focus. They thought that their laws, their laws about the Sabbath were more important than the people that God made the Sabbath for. Right? You can see their focus in how they treat the disciples. Notice that they do not stop to consider the disciples' needs at all. Even something simple as being hungry. No, their immediate thought is condemnation. You know, they do this later too on the Sabbath. Remember the man that Jesus heals and he picks up his bed and he walks? What do the Pharisees call him out on? What are you doing walking on the Sabbath? No, you're missing the point. Jesus just saved this man. Jesus healed this man. How can you be so blind and narrow-minded to just condemn him when he is doing a great work? The Pharisees are missing the point. And Jesus' statement here in Mark cuts to the heart of their false religion. They have a false religion because the Pharisees have twisted God's good gift. They have twisted it. Man can't benefit from God's gift following the Pharisees' rules because the Pharisees' rules now are what are most important. It's like what I said in the beginning of the sermon. We can invent many of our own rules, our own laws to make it really hard or even impossible to use a gift in the way that it is intended. Now, the Pharisees would have said, no, 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 no. We are trying to protect the Sabbath. We're trying to help you. But actually, they were trying to be more holy than God was. They were trying to do all the things that they thought God didn't do well enough. No, God is a good God. God gave us exactly what what we needed in the Sabbath. God gave the Sabbath for our good. It's true. He has given us an instruction manual as well. He has given us his word. And he's given us his spirit to help us to understand and apply his word to help us use a gift like the Sabbath well. It's not a free-for-all, right? We're not just out there all doing it by ourselves. No, we're following what he's told us by his word and as he guides us by his spirit. But that instruction manual is to use the gift well. Let's just think about the blessing of the Sabbath. Now, when I say Sabbath, I'm talking about the day that God has set aside. And today in the New Testament, we talk about Sunday as the Sabbath. It's the Christian Sabbath. So for us today, Sunday is God's gift for us. This is our day of rest and worship. This is the time when we rest from our other work, our other projects, even our other desires, and we worship God. And on this day, we are growing in our relationship with God. In the Old Testament and today, the Sabbath, the day that God gave us, is a reminder to us of his work for us, right? We celebrate God's character. We celebrate his creation, his salvation, his covenant with us, the hope of heaven. We celebrate all those things when we come to worship him. And we also are acknowledging and celebrating how good and caring God is for us When we take this day to rest from our work and even other good things. But it's more than just a reminder for what God has done for us. When we rest and meet God in worship, God is actually at work in us. When God speaks in worship, for example, and we respond like what we're doing right here, he is at work through his word and spirit. Again, not just to remind us of what he's done in the past for us, 
but also continue to do what he has promised, to bring sinners to salvation and to grow his saints. That is the gift of the Sabbath, that God is at work in us. Sunday, this day today, is one of God's greatest gifts to us. Really, it's one of God's greatest gifts to us in everything that he has done. It's the high point of our weeks. It's actually the high point of our Christian lives. Because this is when we come into God's presence as his people. And all of Sunday, not just worship, all of Sunday is something to look forward to and delight in. That kind of joy, that kind of blessing for us comes to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is the gracious Lord of the Sabbath. That's what we see third and finally, that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Look at verse 28. This is where Jesus is pushing. Everything, everything good, all of these things are coming through him because he's the gracious Lord of the Sabbath. That, what Jesus says here in verse 28, is a statement of gracious authority. Jesus is staking his claim to the Sabbath. It is Jesus, not the Pharisees, who have the authority over his day. You look at what Jesus says in verse 28. The name Son of Man communicates that very authority of Jesus. We've seen it before in chapter 2. That's a name that comes from Daniel chapter 7. It's about the Son who is given authority and power by God the Father. But Jesus goes even further, not just saying he's the Son of Man, but he's saying now that he is also the Lord of the Sabbath. That also is emphasizing his authority. The Sabbath belongs to Jesus Christ. Think about that. That is a radical statement. No man could ever claim that. No man could ever say that this day, which God himself established, which God himself set up, no man could ever say that day belongs to me. But Jesus can. Jesus can because he is the Son of Man. Think about it. Who was God, when we're thinking about creation, remember? Who is setting aside that day? Well, God, yes. Jesus is the one that God created through as the Word. So Jesus was involved in the creation of the Sabbath. And as resting, Jesus is involved in the salvation that's pictured in the Sabbath as he dies and is raised for his people. Everything about the Sabbath is about Jesus Christ. This is a radical statement that Jesus is saying. And this completely undercuts the authority of the Pharisees. You know, they were saying, well, it's it's up to us. We have the right to tell people what to do on the Sabbath. We have the right to tell everybody what they need to do or not do. No, Jesus says, this is my day. I'm going to do my work and I'm going to set the rules, not you. But that authority of Jesus, that authority of Jesus here is not just bare authority, right? It's not just power. It would be terrible if we gave the Pharisees that kind of authority and power that Jesus claims. Because if they were lords of the Sabbath, that would be terrible because we see their legalism, right? We see their graceless hearts. We don't want a Lord like that. And we don't have a Lord like that. That's not Jesus. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, is filled with compassion and love for his people. Hear these words again from Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. Hear them, 
and believe them. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We find eternal rest in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And I can say that because Jesus says that. There is even rest in taking on his yoke and his burden. There's even rest in obeying him because of who he is. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. I love you. I know what you need. I am compassionate for your failings. I will give you what you need. Jesus is never overloading us with impossible commands like what the Pharisees were doing. And he is not simply demanding obedience like that taskmaster that the Pharisees made him out to be. No, Jesus is blessing us. That is what Jesus does. He is blessing us Sunday by Sunday by Sunday because that's what he delights to do. It's amazing to think that Jesus delights to bless us. We're weak. We're sinful. We are doubting. We are often lukewarm, even the very best of us. And yet Christ pours out an abundance of blessing on his people. That is grace on full display. That is love beyond degree. Does that kind of love and compassion that Jesus is showing you right now on his day, does that kind of love and compassion surprise you? That's actually the exact same compassion that God showed in saving us in the first place. He chose us and loved us and delighted to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us while we were still sinners. And that is the same compassion and the same love that the Father through the Son by the Spirit shows us now. The Father is blessing us with the riches of salvation through Jesus Christ who won them for us. He is blessing us through our gracious Lord of the Sabbath. Everything that Christ has earned for us in his life and his death, he gives to us now through his Spirit. Every day of our Christian lives, that's true. But especially, especially on Sunday, especially on his day, as we meet with him, this is a day of abundant blessing. If I can say it this way, this is the day that you were saved for. Because now on the Sabbath, this is when we meet with God. This is when we come into Christ's presence to be blessed by him. And as the Bible reminds us, it's only going to get better. Because the Lord of the Sabbath is going to meet us again. And he's going to meet us in the eternal Sabbath rest. Hebrews says there is still, there still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's eternal life. That is eternal life in heaven. Sunday by Sunday, we are looking forward to that day. Sunday by Sunday, Jesus is getting us ready for that day. He is getting us ready as the Lord for that time of rest and worship in heaven. That is the promise, the promise from the Lord of the Sabbath. And that day, 
being in heaven with him, that is the greatest possible blessing that he can give. That you and I and all believers will be in God's presence forever, free from sin, and we'll be worshiping and serving him perfectly. That is what Jesus says here when he says he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He has given us this day as a blessing and there are so many blessings yet to come. So we think about how this passage changes us. I just want to make one general application. We'll get into a few more details, but just one general point right off the bat. Take advantage of God's blessing. God has set in front of each one of us. Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, has set in front of us a wonderful day, a wonderful feast, really, of blessing for us on Sundays. And he encourages us to take advantage of that blessing. How do we take advantage of God's blessing on his day? First, prepare. Prepare. Do you find yourself looking forward to Sunday during the week? I hope so. I know for me there's ups and downs, that's true. But do you delight? Do you look forward to the Lord's day? Because so much about Sunday is not about what we do. We get that wrong. Okay, we focus all on what we do and we stop and we forget about our hearts. So much about delighting in Jesus and his salvation, so much delighting, so much about delighting in God and his work starts in our hearts. So prepare by praying. Pray regularly that God would give you true delight in his day. But also prepare in other ways. Prepare to be blessed by God in Christ by reading the sermon, at least the passage from Scripture. Or read something else like Psalm 92, which we started the service with. Or or sing about God or ask God to bless you and others. The thing is that what we have to do as we take advantage of God's blessing is to prepare to be blessed, and to pray for blessing on others. But also, as we come to God's day, participate. Rest and worship. Take a break from other things and focus your energy and your time on God. Morning and evening worship. It's one of the greatest blessings that God has given us on his day. I understand there are providential hindrances, but participate. Participate as fully as you're able in the worship of Christ's church. I'm not saying that to guilt you. I'm saying that as your pastor who loves you and your pastor who is convinced that these things are for your good. They're for your good and they're actually for all of our good together. God will bless us as we worship him. Think about other ways you can participate and seek the blessing of God. Think about Sunday school. Or fellowship with your brothers and sisters. Time on your own in prayer and being in the word. Think about ways you can serve others and meet their needs as well. That you can be a blessing to them. There are so many things that we can think about. And as you hear that list, I know as even I was was writing that list, I I felt really tired. I'm not trying to tire you out. And God's not trying to wear you out either. We serve a gracious God. He understands He understands our limitations. He is encouraging us to come and be blessed by him, but to live within our God-given limits. He knows that. And he will still bless us in the ways that he has chosen. But also as I 
even wrote this, and I, I felt a little tired. I also came away feeling like sometimes Sunday can feel like a burden. We know that. Each one of us can feel that way. And when you find yourself looking at Sunday as a burden and not as a blessing, there's a change. We need a change. We need to be reminded of God's grace. The, the Sabbath is a blessing of God's grace. Be reminded, for instance, of the fact that this is a day of rest. God's grace is for our rest. Take a rest on Sunday. It's okay to take a break. Stop your working. Stop from other things. Take a nap if you have to. This is a day for your rest. But also, when we see the Sabbath as a burden, so often we need a, we need a deeper heart change. Because we need to see God's grace for us in Christ more clearly. So that as we prepare and as we participate, we're doing this not in our own strength. No, 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 no. In the strength that God gives and actually in gratitude for his ongoing grace to us. The Sabbath is not gracious. You will never enjoy the Sabbath. You will never really find that blessing in Christ if we are not relying on God's grace every second of this day. So prepare and participate. But I also want you to look forward because this is not the end of the story. Look forward to our eternal Sabbath rest in heaven. Take your eyes off the world around us. That's what God is saying today. Stop looking at all these other things. All these other things can wait till Monday. No, no, no. Today, think eternally. Today, live eternally. Take your eyes away and look up. Look up to your home. Look up to your future. Look to me. I am the source. I'm the source of these blessings. And I am actually the greatest blessing that you can ever have. You're just getting a taste now. You're just getting the first course now. But there is an eternal future of blessing in heaven waiting for us. How can we do these things? How can we do any of these things? The only reason we can do any of this is because of Jesus. Jesus remains the gracious Lord of the Sabbath. He has saved us. And he continues to give us his grace and mercy and peace and actually all of his blessings, especially on his day. The Sabbath is a day of blessing for weary, sinning, world-worn Christians. That's you and that's me. And Jesus holds out his hand as the gracious Lord of the Sabbath. Not to strike you down, no. Not to push you down to add more rules to your life, no. He holds out his hand and that is a hand of blessing. Take Jesus at his word and delight in his day. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you've given us Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus Christ is our gracious Lord and Savior. We know that's true in all areas of our life, and we see it especially as we come to this passage and we see just how gracious and merciful and kind Jesus Christ is as the Lord of the Sabbath. Lord, we pray that we would rejoice in Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we would also look forward to being with Jesus Christ and with you, our Heavenly Father, and with the Holy Spirit and with all of God's people forever. 
It's amazing to think of how many blessings we have already received, even this morning, and how many blessings we look forward to in eternity with you. Lord, we pray that you would tune our hearts to sing your praises and to follow you more closely all the days of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name alone. Amen.